Welcome to Big Data Small Talk, where we take the vast and complex world of data and break it down to bit-sized accessible conversations. Each episode is featured by leaders in the fields of data science, AI, or data engineering, as we explore the latest trends, challenges, and opportunities around data. Grab a cup of coffee and let's get started. Hello, hello. And this is another episode of Big Data Small Talk. And I am your host, Sabrina. I'm so excited to be here with you today. And as you know, Big Data Small Talk is all about making complex data science and AI topics accessible and understandable to everyone. And today we're talking about, I think, one of the most exciting and transformative technologies in the world right now, which is large language models or generative AI, whatever you want to call it. And we're also going to talk about what this means for businesses and for new or existing data products. We're also talking about some of the challenges we're already facing to use this type of AI and how to overcome them. So if you're interested in learning more about AI, how it's revolutionizing businesses and the way we build stuff, and also learn how to adapt to these new changes, stick around. It's going to be a great episode. And we do have some outstanding speakers on the panel. And before we dive in, I just want to give a big thank you to Shikuro for today's discussion. And for those of you who don't know, Shikuro is redefining how we manage our data products by providing a operational system for a data stack. This way you can seamlessly bring together top tier data tools, experiment with new tech, and as your organization grows, your data becomes more complex. Shakuto also helps you scale your data infrastructure. And you can learn more about us on our website, shakuto.io, or just contact me or Stella for more information. And I think we can just head over to the introductions. I'd like to give you guys some space to introduce yourself, what you're currently working on, and maybe how you got interested in the world of AI in the first place. And I think we can start with maybe Stella. Why don't you go first? Thanks. Hi, everyone. Stella here, co-founder at Shakuro. Excited to be here today and chat with all of you about generative AI and how they're transforming our lives. At Shakuro, we're working on helping our customers to build and deploy machine learning models. And these days, we work a lot around generative AI LMs. Yeah, so excited to chat with you about this today. Yeah, Stella is co-founder and head of customer experience. And we have recently integrated large language models into the Shikuro platform, meaning that our customers can now just easily integrate LLMs into their working environments. It, it makes troubleshooting safer and much easier for data teams. So pretty excited about this new feature that we have. So thank you, Stella, for participating here in this discussion. I think moving over to Travis. Hello, Travis. Why don't you introduce yourself to everyone? Thank you, Sabrina. It's a, a pleasure to, to be here. Thank you, Shikudo. Quick intro about myself. My background is computer science. I've worked at Microsoft and Amazon in the past. I've founded a couple of companies. I have two exits under my belt. And these days, I'm 100% focused on AI. I released, like six months ago, I released the ChatGPT Twitter bot that has about 128,000 followers now. Released a, a semantic search for Ben's Bytes AI newsletter a chat TV plugin for the Lex Friedman podcast, really just been launching a lot of kind of open source experiments, building on top of AI, the space is moving so quickly. 
And I recently founded a company that's still in stealth, but we're focused on building a reliable infrastructure for, for reliable AI agents. And that'll be open source and, and more info coming about that soon. But excited to, to chat with you guys today about the data side of things and actually building real AI applications. That is absolutely amazing, Travis. You're always building such cool stuff with AI. And yeah, you're the mastermind behind ChatGPT Bot. And I think you're also running a community for ChatGPT hackers. I actually recently joined your community as well. It's great to see what you're building. Oh, awesome. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah but chat. <laughs> ChatGPTHackers.dev. We have a whole like the the core of it is is a bunch of open source developers that have built various AI AI projects, starting with with the the unofficial ChatGPT APIs back in December. But yeah, it's, a, it's just a, a, a relaxed open community. So feel free to check us out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Check it out. It's amazing what you're doing in the space. You're always building cool stuff with AI. So yeah, thank you for being here. And also, of course, Greg, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yes, absolutely. Well, first off, Sabrina, thank you very much for the invite. And Shakuto, thank you for the invite. Travis, I'm a big fan of your work and excited to follow along with your journey with your new company. So my background is on the B2B operations and product side of the house. I'm ex-Salesforce, and I led a growth team over there for Sales and Service Cloud. And most recently, I was the first business hire at a fintech company called Digits. Now, with regards to AI, I found that the best ROI for my energy right now and where I get the most satisfaction is actually onboarding users to this new AI world. And so teaching developers how to get started with AI and also business owners. And so, like I said, I'm a B2B products guy at heart. And so connecting these language models to business value is where I get the most inspiration. A big piece of that has been ramping people up to Langchain, but I also think it's super fun to connect the dots in the industry for others on how this ecosystem is going to play out. That's amazing. And I first met Greg through one of his amazing videos he puts out on LLMs, just building cool projects from scratch, teaching people how to use stuff, very high quality. So make, make sure to check those out as well if you're trying to build stuff with AI. He also has this amazing background in business. Every, everyone here has an amazing background in business, which I think is amazing for this discussion today and very important. So just jumping right into the questions. I have a nice flow of questions here ready to go for you guys. And first of all, let's let's just learn about how AI is revolutionizing businesses and the challenges that comes with it. Of course, it's not all flowers. There's a lot of, I think, difficult stuff. Business has to handle it as well. So let's talk about that. So first question is, could you share a bit about a project that you did or a product that you're working on that involves LLMs or large language models. How did the idea for that project came through and what excites you about it? What was the outcome that, that you had? I think, Travis, why don't you go first? You have a, a couple of them, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. So I, I think, you know, especially if all of us are kind of Twitter users, there, there's there's so much news and, and so much going on in AI right now that it can it can be a little hard to <laughs> to follow and, and keep up and, and, and feel like you're kind of drowning in, in AI news. And, you know, I, I think one of the, the, the things that I try to keep in mind is like that there, there, there are some trends that you can kind of distill things down to. And so talking about like a, a specific project you know, there, there's a lot of Twitter demos 
and 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 things that are like oh this is this is a cool cool toy or this is a cool demo but you know, to what extent it, it actually you can you can use it in a, in a production in a business setting or in an enterprise setting you know that's a whole whole different different ball game so i think that's that's probably a, a focus of the stock i'll say the the biggest project that i'm currently working on is really viewing so so large language models are are great at understanding and generating text you know that's the kind of generative ai side of, of things but the, the 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 side of large language models that i find truly revolutionary and what i'm really excited about is their ability to reason and this is this is really something that is is brand new you know really since since gpt4 it, it kind of it passed a, a certain certain step a certain inflection point there you know and i view language models as reasoning engines and you can think of them kind of as as cpus of a fundamentally new form, form of compute and you know I, I i've been thinking a lot about what does that that compute paradigm look like if you view language models as these higher level reasoning reasoning engines or cpus well, you know, you, you have the storage side of, of, of that, that compute platform, and that would be, you know, vector databases or traditional databases and then how they, they interplay with language models or, or with machine learning models. And then you have kind of the, the runtime or, or how do you actually program language models on, on top of that. And, uh, you know, this is, this is what I'm, the project that I'm, I'm actually working on is like you, you can view those, those programs as a spectrum where on the one hand, you have like purely deterministic programs, you know, that are written by a human, they may call into a large language model, or they may call into another machine learning model. But it's it's fundamentally driven by a human programmer, you know, it's deterministic, it's easy to relatively easy to reason about. And then on the opposite side of that spectrum, you have fully self driving programs. And you know, I, you can you can think of it as as you give these are often referred to as autonomous agents. So you give an agent like a, a task, you give it some resources to accomplish that task, and then some some way of prioritizing and, and, and creating subtasks. And it's really it's really the, the the AI is driving the bus, right? And and there's been a lot of interest lately around some of these projects around AutoGBT and Baby AGI around attempts to, to, to jump straight to kind of self-driving programs. And that's great. And it's, 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 it's really exciting, you know, and, and obviously drawn a lot of excitement around like the fact that this is even a conversation that we can be having now. But I, I also think that it's, it's a little bit jumping the gun and it's like, would, would you jump straight to self-driving cars? No, I mean, there, there, there's a kind of a spectrum there and, and you need to start maybe a little, a little more constrained and a little, a little more focused on building reliable primitives. And, you know, the, the, to, to kind of summarize the, the side of things that I'm really excited about with, with large language models is viewing them as, as reasoning engines, viewing them as a kind of new higher level CPUs and what that world of compute will look like building on top of them. That is amazing. And I completely agree with you actually with AutoGPT and all these, I think, self-driving language models that we have today. I think maybe it's not that time yet to take that leap, but it's also amazing. The idea is amazing. And I think just jumping right to the, the next speaker here, like the question is a product or project that you did involving LLMs and what excites you about it or about the space of LLMs? Who wants to take this one also? 
go next. Greg, Stella. Okay, go ahead, Stella. Yeah, yeah, Travis, that's that's profound. That's pretty profound. That's what you what you were saying. I think I completely agree. There's a there's a lot of news out there. Lots of demos people are building, but there's a huge gap between trying out those G- GPTs or different models on the playground, or even like setting up a demo, versus having something really useful for your organization and private and and use, useful for your own data. And that's what we're focusing on these days as well. So the ML ops and the model serving is bread and butter at Shokudo. So many of us are helping our customers working on how to how to actually get something up and running within their own organization just for their internal internal data. So it is actually a quick start self-hosted open source model pipeline for anyone who wants to use LM but not yet feeling comfortable feeding data to to like something like open AI. And you probably shouldn't for the internal data. And everyone wants to use LM so that there's a huge, huge gap there. And it might not be a right way because the model is not perfect and it's not regulated. There's also a lot of gap over there, but it's a exciting piece of technology and everyone wanted to start benefit from it. And just like you said, it's like we're trying to jump into the next stage, even the auto, completely auto agent, which is kind of dangerous. Sounds like a virus if someone can just do everything on, on your laptop for yourself without without just typing a command. And and there's fears and doubt, of course. And ChatGPT or like the, the general generally the LMs, they can say the wrong thing affirmatively, which means so compared to the older generations of models, it's not that easy to know that the answer is not correct. They will lie confidently. For example, if I ask the model a simple like two digit add addition math, most of the time it will be right, but once in a while it'll be wrong. And if I ask it to explain how it gets to the answer, it will say the right logic and get to the right answer. And then I'll be like, oh, but didn't you just tell me about answer X just now? And the model will say, oh, oh, it was a typo. So that's that's the type of thing that it will increasingly make it hard for us to know if the thing that the, the model is generating is correct because we don't all have the 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 time or even even the the knowledge to go back to see what has been fit in and what is the actual truth so that has to be something that we're aware of when we when we deploy those models so that's that's i guess my take on this one yeah i I totally agree stella and we do have to be very careful when using ai sometimes talking with ChatGPT or gpt4 for example Sometimes if you just ask him, are you sure about this answer? He would just change it completely. So this is one take that you can actually check if he's actually confident about his answer or something. Sabrina, I love, I love that, that, that you use the masculine to the, when you're talking about like the key of, of GBT. I, I've, I've found, you know, like, like sometimes I'll refer to a language model as she or, or something. I, I just, I find it interesting to see the different ways that people anthropomorphize these things. I love it. That's a great abs- observation, Travis, actually. I think I did this because I am a native Portuguese speaker and in Portuguese, everything has gender. And actually, when we talk about ChatGPT in Portuguese, it has a masculine gender. So I think this is why I just kind of translated in my head. But yeah, it's nice to, to know that we can also like obviously refer to them as female or something. I think for now, let's try not to, to give this machine's personality. But yeah, that's, that's a cool observation. 
But yeah, I think just moving over to to Greg, why don't you talk about as a cool project that you did and that you're working on with large language models and what was the outcome that you had from that? What excites you about it? Yeah, absolutely. So the area that I wanted to explore with a recent project was around verticalized SaaS. So can you take an existing industry and can you augment a feature using language models for this? And so the piece that really excites me is all the unstructured data that's out there right now that is now unlocked that you can go and analyze with language models. And specifically, I wanted to look at the sales arena because my wife is in sales and she says that 100% of the time she goes back and re-listens to her sales calls. Now, that's super interesting because if you think about you spend all that time on the first sales call, running the call, and then you have to almost double the time going back and re-listening to it and taking notes. So there's a transcript in each one of these sales tools, and the transcript is just text, and that is a perfect application to go and analyze for it. So I built a Chrome extension that hooks onto Gong, specifically a popular sales call tool, and it goes through, and step one, or what's funny about this is this product kind of went through the full product lifecycle where I first just generated a summary, but it wasn't too impressive. And my wife said, Greg, summaries are great, but I really need these sales specific things. So I started to bake in more verticalized features. So within sales, there's a methodology called MedPick. And that is a series of metrics that get extracted from a transcript. Now, normally someone would have to go back to that call and re-listen to it and refill that out and go put it in their CRM. But it's super easy to build a tool that can extract that information for you. So with that Chrome extension, I had a closed beta with a few design partners. It went well, launched on Twitter, got some good signups, and there's about 30 people running with it in the wild right now. And it's pretty cool to look at the product logs to see how they're they're interacting with it there. The 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 another thing that became pretty clear throughout this process too is that rarely will I, my hypothesis is that we won't see a ton of new companies that are going to win just because they started leveraging AI for something, right? They're going to have to unlock new problems and provide value in new ways. And one of the ways that's going to come through is a lot of incumbents are going to come out with this functionality uh, in the first place. So a lot of sales tools will end up coming out with this. Regardless, this was a really good product exercise to run through the whole life cycle. And uh, it's been a fun one so far. I love this story, Greg. And I, I love the way you, you took a re in real life problem, solved it, and who knows, chances are a lot of people are having the same problem or have, passing through the same stuff and actually find this tool extremely useful. Honestly, I do want to know what is the name of this from extension because I, I do see it apply in a lot of places in my life as well. <laughs> Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's funny. After I launched it, there was a lot of different industries that reached out to me that wanted to see if they could apply it for themselves. And so specifically the user research industry, which they have transcripts and calls that they need to analyze as well. And then also the real estate industry. So the real estate group is on phone calls all, all day long, and they want to be able to report better on the unstructured data that is happening on the calls. Now, the second piece that I'll say too is uh, through all the product and user research, there was some pretty exciting areas that would be really cool to go dive into. And so a small example of that is if you think about how many salespeople are on an enterprise team, let's just make up a number and say there's 200 salespeople at a large company. And you think about how many phone calls that those 200 people are doing a week, let's just say it's five. That is a ton, ton of unstructured data that is not currently being utilized. And so all of that is getting recorded in transcripts, but it's not being used. So I think that a big business is going to come through. And if they can structure that, there's going to be a lot of really cool insights and data and automation that's going to come out of it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Especially for, I think, early stage startups and also big, big companies where they don't have control anymore to take insights of this stuff actually uh, thoroughly, right? And also, I, I'm also thinking about this is much bigger and it can just become something that you use for videos in general, like YouTube videos or stuff like that. You don't have to actually go through the whole 15-minute video, video anymore. You can actually take the key points. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's exactly it. And, you know, there's been a lot of really cool tools that I've seen on Twitter of indie hackers putting these things together. And so YouTube summarization is a hot topic on everyone's mind. I love it. And yeah, okay, going to the next question here for you guys. It's a question about the actual challenges business are facing when trying to integrate AI tools into their existing processes. So why don't you tell me like two main challenges I think businesses are currently facing and any tips or strategy that you would use to navigate those challenges or to make, I think, their life easier of some sort. Stella, why didn't you take this one? I know that we're working with this on Shikuda. I don't think these challenges are surprising anyone. So the, the first one and foremost would be the privacy. So many, many companies are not feeling comfortable just feeling, feeding things into OpenAI. And data sharing sometimes, like even within the organization is a problem. Not everybody has the same right to look at the, the same, same amount of data. And that's the, the, the case for the LM adoption within within your your organization. That is that is one big thing. And then my my advice for that one, I don't think it's it's uh, surprising either. Just to use open source models. The, but there's a there's a a downside for the open source models initially, which is the the next concern, which is the cost, because you'll have to set up beforehand everything and probably not even fine tuning, you have to probably just set up the thing to, to be able to serve the model and make it work within your internal data. Just that part is even like hiring the people who knows how to use and set it up. Those, all of those are the initial one-time large cost that without any commitment from the company, many more times it's not going to push faster. So it, it will probably take some time to get that one to be in reality. So both of these are, are making us slower in the adoption stage. And I would think the, I've seen success in having a hybrid type of approach. So the first one would be you go with open AI, but use the data that, that is okay to share with, with the open AI API. And that way you're, you're having some really good fast results and you probably can build something really, really fast. And, put it within your organization. It also drives the internal adoption of the idea and people can try it out and see how it's actually helping them in their daily lives and some sort of some, some sort of guardrails as well. So people don't just go to like OpenAI and use the playground directly, which they could accidentally send something that shouldn't be there. So that is the step one, which can can get some initial good results and then while this has been pushed out, we can. And the good thing is, on the side, plan out the self-hosted models, open-source models, so that you can use that for the internal documents, the sensitive documents, and for long-term. Because of the the API cost, it's also going to add up over time. So combine those those two as a hybrid solution is would be a a good way to go, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I agree. We got to be careful how we, I think, how we use them and which ones we actually going to use. Sometimes it's not going to be good enough, right? Sometimes some of these models don't provide good enough answers, but some of them are actually not too safe for you to put any information on. I'm not sure about if you guys have tried BARD also from Google. Not sure how, how safe it is as well, but it's kind of like that thing where you don't want to actually give him any sensitive information at all because we all have this, I think, the fear of stuff that were happening before with AI. And so, yeah, there is absolutely a good point there in to manage, I think, those, those things and how to use those models is very important. I think, how about Greg? Why don't you tell us about a few? I think I know that you're very, I think, business focused in all of your work. So, what are some challenges you say that business often face when trying to integrate those things? Sure. You know, first comment on the privacy piece. I think a good pattern to study to see how this adoption is going to go is the old Slack adoption stories. So you'd often hear how in corporations, the engineers would start using Slack and it wasn't a company adopted app quite yet, where Slack would build up so much adoption within the company itself, they were forced to talk to Slack and get some sort of purchase agreement in place there. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So the first problem I think I see is around connecting data sources. So companies, especially larger companies, are traditionally not great at their data strategy for internal operations, right? But then there's a wrinkle in this too, is like I said beforehand, there's a whole new class of data that is being unlocked right now, which is the unstructured text. So data that companies weren't even thinking about managing beforehand now becomes available to start doing. So there's going to be a whole bunch of problems, or I shouldn't say problems, I should say opportunities and challenges to go and structure that data. Now, the second piece I think is really interesting as well is the second order challenges that are going to come in. So not all the obvious first reaction types of things, but the second order, and there's a few questions in mind. So should companies headcount distribution be the same, which is going to have impacts on hiring? Which teams should leadership really push to increase their utilization. So should they be expecting the same output from each team or are they going to be expecting something different? And along the lines with that Slack adoption model, what is a company's internal policy going to be on language models? Are they going to kind of are they going to try to control it all themselves? Are they going to open allow open source? And so some of these questions will need to get answered in the next couple months. Yeah, exactly. Funny to see how fast things are moving every way and how companies are being pushed to make these decisions fast as well, because it, I think the size it has right now is, is kind of unmanageable in some sort. Uh, Travis, what's your take on it? Oh, sorry, Greg, would you add something? You know, I was just going to say very briefly that the best catalyst for change is a strong incentive to change. And when you have a whole bunch of your employees sharing data that you're unsure about with a third party that you may or may not want, that's going to cause companies to change pretty quickly. Agreed. And passing it over to Travis, would you like to add anything on, on this? Oh, yeah. I mean, just to, to reiterate, I think both Stella and, and Greg's points, I, I, I know that there have been a lot of reports of companies realizing that their employees are, are literally pasting in proprietary data or, or user information into ChatGPT because it's, it's a, a super powerful tool. And, you know, it's uh, something I know OpenAI is, is aware of. And, and I, I 
know at some point in the next month or two, they have announced a ChatGPT for business, you know, that has a little more of, of, of controls around the, the, the data side of things. I'll say a few things about the, the challenges that business face, businesses face adopting large language models or, you know, there, there's this, <laughs> there's this FOMO around AI and, and it's certainly cost an inflection point and, you know, they, they, there's a reason why, why, why it's, it's there. So it, it's real, but I'll, I, I guess my, 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 my main advice is you know, if, if you're in, in a, a, a larger business and, and, and you know that you want to use AI to, to, to some extent and you, you don't want to miss out, you know, you, you understand the, the, the power of it, but you're, you're not sure like how to get from point A to point B. My first piece of advice would be to start simple. Andre Karpathy had this tweet, you know, a month or month or two ago where he, he noticed that, you know, there's all this, all, all this excitement around AI. And so a lot of business execs, they, they, the first thing that they do is like, oh, well, we need to hire a, a team of ML engineers. <laughs> and that's great. Like, like having, having those, those experts on hand is, is never going to be a bad thing, but it's also not really necessary for a lot of, a lot of use cases anymore, or at least certainly not, not for starting out, you know, a few years ago, if, if you wanted to integrate some, some, some machine learning intelligence or, or some of some, some of these advanced algorithms into your, whether it's connecting to your proprietary data or, or trying to solve a, a business problem for, for your customers, you know, you would have had to, to, to hire a, a, a team of, of experts. And nowadays the, the, the massive change is that there are these foundational models that are, are hosted in the cloud that are, you know, in, in, in a large degree, significantly more powerful than anything that that you know a whole team of data like machine learning experts would have been able to build for you in, in a custom proprietary way now there's trade-offs there right like as Stella said if you're if you're calling into an externally hosted API whether it's open from, from OpenAI or Google or anthropic or, or whatever hosted LLM you know that they're that, that you're calling into <laughs> One, there, there, there's there's cost associated with that. There's you know data data privacy. It, it really depends on your use case. But my my advice is to start as simple as possible. So if you you look at like my my pin tweet, kind of has my advice in a nutshell for this. And it's really like there's a, a space of a spectrum of of solutions for for ways that you can try to use use large language models to solve a problem. And so, you know, start starting from the, the, the specific business problem that you have and working backwards from there and, and starting as simple as possible. You, you'd be surprised at how, how far just simple prompting of these foundational models can, can, can go. And then, you know, there's, there's some, some problems in practice. They, they, they have a very broad view of the world. And so they, they, they can tend to hallucinate details. If there's a specific domain or, or, or problem that you want them to work on, you're oftentimes better augmenting their context with, you know, some some specific data about your your use case. So it's called retrieval augmented generation, and that would you know oftentimes involve connecting it to hooking it up to to either proprietary data or or you know general uh, public public data, but specific to your use case. You know, and then you kind of go down this ladder of complexity of well, maybe maybe the the performance isn't isn't good enough, or or the the quality isn't good enough, or you know the the cost is, is is too high, or you can't use you know a a, a publicly hosted model because of, of data privacy concerns. 
So, you know, then you, you, you kind of step down the ladder of complexity and go, well, maybe I'm going to fine tune a model instead. And whether you fine tune a hosted model or you fine tune a, an open source model and you're running that locally, these are all tools in your tool belt. And my, my, my advice is to, you know, start with, with your, your concrete problem that you want to solve. One, one practical piece of advice is to, to say, you know, what is like, have, have a, 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 an eval set which is like, like say a set of inputs and outputs that, that, you know, you know, your team and, and, and your, your, your domain expertise that you know, that you, you would like for this, this particular business problem. And, and, and it, it gives you kind of a North star so that as you, you know, let's say change the prompt around or, or as you, you change the model from a hosted model to a, a fine tuned one, you know, it gives you a constant baseline that you can actually say, like, for my use case, it's, it's improving or it's not improving or, or you're, you can quantify these things instead of just saying, like, oh, I think that changing this prompt this way, you know, makes it better. Like, the, the less pan waviness and the more, more rigor that you can add to this process, the better. And then, you know, start, start simple. Oftentimes, like, like, start with a hosted API if you can for your, your business use case and you know, validate that, that you, that the language model actually is solving your use case. That's like the, the main thing. Right. And, and I think Stella mentioned, if you can, if you can create kind of a POC internally using a hosted API and, and you can say, look, this is actually solving this problem. This is a massive unlock and you can build some internal momentum around it. That's, that's huge. Right. And then you can worry about kind of the, the last mile of the productionization concerns around, well, can I actually use this hosted API? What are the other options for using kind of more local models? One, one thing that comes up repeatedly in practice is if you're not getting the kind of quality of the outputs that, 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 that you would like from these models, um, either, either you're, you're, you're trying to do too much in one LLM call and, and you should try to, try to break up that task into subtasks that are more focused. That's, that's something that, 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 that is, you know, comes up repeatedly. And then another piece of practical advice is, you know, if, if, if again, if, if you're not like getting either the, let's say the latency or it's too expensive or, or, you know, you're, you're seeing hallucinations or, 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 or various defects with the, the outputs, you know, you can always, you know, start simple with, with, with the, the hosted model or, or a general model, but, but use fine tuning, use, use some distillation. To, to get a, a more efficient, more compact, more 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 kind of private and secure version of that that LLM locally, you can do that over time. That's an option. It's it's becoming increasingly an increasingly good option. The open source models are kind of trailing behind the the, the proprietary models in terms of their their kind of base capabilities, but it's it's not trailing behind that far. And and it's we're, we're kind of seeing this this Cambrian explosion of. Of, of open source models. And we're going to continue to see that. I think even, even yesterday there was, there was news that OpenAI is going to be potentially releasing a, an open source, you know, model that will not be likely not be as you know powerful as, as their like, like latest GPT-4 model, but, but just something that, that, you know, will actually work for, for a lot of business use cases where, where you want more control over the model and the data and you want to run it on your own infrastructure. So I, I know that was a lot, but, I, if you check my, my pinned tweet, I kind of try to summarize some of this advice in, in a, a nice little graphic. 
No, this is great advice. And definitely you just answered another question that I had, which is advice to give other entrepreneurs or people who are thinking about incorporating LLMs into their products or services. I love the business take on this, the hands-on experience that you had on this. And definitely valuable advice if you're thinking about using LLMs and what are the effects or how should I actually do it or how should I prepare for it? I was wondering, Greg, from your experience, have you seen some of these stuff also in, in companies or in use cases that you had? And what advice you do, would you give to other people trying to do the same or, or businesses trying to do the same and just start using LLMs more into their services and preparing for the future using those models, which is, I think, something that every business is pondering upon right now. Yeah, you know, I'm aligned with Travis on this one. I am a big believer in the lean product lifecycle. So start super, super small, start with unsensitive data and just get a POC out the door and make sure that's working for you. And so this is likely going to be via a third party model because that's as easy as possible. It's just a single API call. Get that going first and iteratively build on top of that. Now, the part that I really need to emphasize is also what Travis said. It's around connecting these products to customer value. So I mean, it's a little bit trite to say it, but AI, a lot of people have the solution looking for a problem and you really want to make sure that you're starting with user research, what the customer is saying, and then matching your solution towards that. Exactly. Taking a, a problem that already exists and people are actually complaining about it and want a solution. I think this is something very important that you should keep in mind when actually just building anything or building something with LLMs. And going to the next question here is about I think widely held beliefs or assumptions about LLMs, I think everyone has a lot of them, but that you guys working with those generative AI closely find that a lot of people believe on, on perhaps untrue or misleading theories about these models. And could you share something that, that you think are perhaps a misleading thing people are seeing about AI that is not actually true? So Travis, why don't you share your thoughts on this yeah it's a good question i think probably the the the, the, the single biggest misconception that, that that i see is i and i already touched on this a, a bit it's that people especially folks who who have have some experience with with technology they they assume that they're going to need to train their own models or or or, or for, for for their use case, and it's it's really this this massive step change that we've seen with these foundational models where they're so powerful that that you know you can get so far with just simple prompting, and and prompting is is really it comes down to like there, there are some best best practices, but it's 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 just using natural language effectively, and and how far you know that can take you. Again, like like everything in in engineering and in, in in building actual solutions for a customer comes down to actually solving a real real problem for them, and then on the engineering side, evaluating trade offs. And there's there's trade offs in terms of you know the, the the privacy security of of using a hosted model versus versus local. There's trade offs in terms of the the latency, depending on your your use case. There's trade offs in terms of cost. There's all sorts of, of, of trade-offs, but but you'll be surprised at just how far you can get with using these these base large language models without any fine tuning, without any training, without any sophisticated machine learning really approaches, 
just by effectively prompting them and effectively, you know, giving them a, a little bit of focused data for your use case. I think, you know, Greg, Greg mentioned earlier, structured data, I'm sorry, unstructured data, like large language models are amazing, amazing at, at taking unstructured data that traditionally, you know, you could, you could create some, some programming logic around and, and try to extract things out or, or, or process, but it's very time consuming and, and, and very developer heavy. And, and there's always edge cases and stuff. And, and large language models are, are amazing, amazing at, at taking unstructured data and converting it into structured usable data. And yeah, that's, that's, I think the, the, the key points I'd focus on there. Yeah, agreed. And also, Greg, if you want to add something, feel free to do so. Stella had to drop, but we can keep going to, I think, the last two two questions after this one. Go ahead, get Greg. Yeah, absolutely. So right when, uh, right when GPT-4 came out, I was on a Twitter space, and I, I don't know who said it, but somebody said, we haven't even figured out how to best utilize GPT-3.5 yet, and 4 just came out. And so I say that story to emphasize that a lot of people are learning this for the first time. And there's a lot of misconceptions out there, which is totally understandable in a changing environment like this. Now, one of the biggest ones that I see is that folks think that LLMs are a black box that can do anything that you want, basically. And so this kind of shows itself in two different forms. And it's something that Travis said earlier around asking the language model to do too much in a single API call. So if you wanted to make like five or six logic steps within a single call, you're going to get caught up in the first place. Now, prompting goes a long way to help this, but also it is really beneficial to break down your steps and don't overload the model too much. And an example about this is I had somebody approach me and they wanted to build a financial model that was powered by AI, right? And so a typical Excel spreadsheet. There was about 100 inputs into this financial model and they wanted to pass that to the language model and keep in mind that you're going to pass that via a string. And then it, it wanted to say, hey, these eight inputs were changed by the user. And then it wanted to have the language model update that financial forecast and return it back so they can go update it for it. And that's just not the way that these things work. So in addition to having the language model not do too much in a single API call, it's really important to know what it's really good at and what a language model is not really good at. So let's take classification as another example. So yes, language models can do classifications, but Classifications are a very well understood problem and there have been data science techniques outside of language models who've been good at this for a long time. So uh, my recommendation would be don't assume that language models can do everything and throw the kitchen sink out of it. Start with your problem first, evaluate the options, and then if the language model is the best one to do it, then start to proceed with caution. Yeah, yeah. I do agree, Greg. And honestly, sometimes we can get caught up into forgetting exactly that like, th those things are not as powerful as perhaps we're actually even thinking they are. And I actually made this mistake myself trying to perhaps trying to do something with a large language model that it was much easier to do without it just because I was so used to taking these complex tasks and just throwing it into a model. So yeah, I do see what you're saying. I completely agree. And try to, I think, think of your problem before actually trying to solve it. I think this is a great advice that people should follow. And also going to, to the next question here is because we talked about, a lot about 
how business can prepare for integrating AI and how to do it in an effective way, challenges behind it. But we didn't say a lot about, okay, what are the risks business face if they don't keep up with those changes, if they don't integrate AI or, or don't do anything of, of actually trying to incorporate generative AI into their businesses. What are your opinion on the challenges these business or, or these types of companies will face long-term long term with this decision? Yeah, I mean, I can, I can kick, kick things off. I think the, the, the biggest challenge is just that, so, so, so with, with any technology, there is kind of a, a, a fairly well understood adoption cycle, probably the, the, the Gartner hype cycle or, or adoption cycle. <laughs> and it, it, it tends to take time to proliferate, you know, throughout, throughout industry, there for structural governance reasons, et cetera. The, 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 the thing that's different about generative AI is that consumers are, are just like with, with the release of ChatGPT and the fact that it's the fastest growing consumer app ever, which, which is just still just mind boggling to me. You know, there, there are hundreds, hundreds of millions of, of consumers that have access to, 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 to these, to these tools that are, are starting to, 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 to understand and, and, and work with, work with them. And it, there isn't this, this massive leg between, you know, the, the cutting edge of, of what is, is possible in academia and, and years of, of, of proliferation to, to the, the mainstream. Like consumers are, have, have higher, are starting to have higher expectations around generative AI. And, you know, the, 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 the biggest risk is that, you know, you will, you will be left behind. Consumers will, will find, you know, the, 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 the biggest the biggest advantage of, of large language models is, is the fact that they, they just are so good at understanding natural language. And, you know, that's, that's very expressive. It's very flexible. There, there, there's an example that I like of Microsoft just basically bolting on a chat interface into Microsoft Excel as an example. And, you know, they've done this with, with all their products and, and, and you know, Google I.O., Last week, you, you saw just the, the, the term generative AI, like like hundreds of times across their presentation and, and integrating it into all, all these products because they, they really don't want to be left behind. They know that consumers are, are actively being, being pushed to have higher expectations. And, and, and there's this example of, of bolting on this, this chat interface into Excel, which I like because it's really like kind of kind of the wrong way to, to, to do it like it's 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 so, so I'll, I'll explain what I mean a little bit like the the, the chat UI is very general general and, and it's very flexible but oftentimes if you have an existing app or an existing UI and and you know you have existing workflows or like like in, in an Excel sheet right like like I, I select a series of, of, of cells and you know I want to apply some some transformation on them or, or something. If I if I just go into to the, the chat interface and I say like on cells F twelve through F fifteen, you know, do this. Like that's very, it's 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 un it's it's very generalizable and flexible, but it's also like not taking advantage of the the existing UI, right? And so so like I, I think that the, the best instances where where we're seeing AI be integrated is is really like more of more of a, a co-pilot more of, of something where you can you can 
take advantage of the existing UX and and and, and the existing constraints that be, that you built for, for for very specific workflows in your in your your product, and then and then ask, well, what is what is like the way to integrate UI into that? That's not necessarily just chat. Like chat is kind of a fallback. It's like the most flexible general version of things. And and if you don't know what to do, sure, start with chat. But but oftentimes the the, the part of things that I'm more excited about and 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 you know I think a, a key differentiator between businesses that add UI with intentionality versus just add UI to add I'm sorry add AI to add AI are you know to, to what degree they're actually thinking about integrating AI into their existing UX and and those existing workflows versus just saying you know pasting a chat box into their their product and and, and calling it a day. I love this thing. And yeah, it's true. And sometimes I think integrating AI has placed businesses ahead of others, I think for a while now. And I think we're actually seeing this, I think, move faster after LLMs. Like we said before, LLMs are really, I think, forcing people to make decisions fast, like Greg said. And Greg, do you have anything to add on this one on how businesses can prepare for integrating AI? And for businesses, the risks that they're taking if they don't do that, I think, in the long term. Yeah, what do you think? yeah, yeah, totally. So I, I think about this in two ways. And on one side, it's external products. And so it's kind of your traditional user-facing products. Now, a lot of competition that you have is going to be integrating AI into different features to provide more value to your mutual customers. And if you don't adopt AI, well, your customers are going to know. And like Travis said, which I thought was super interesting, I hadn't thought about it this way, there is not as much information asymmetry as we've seen with other products in the past. People know what ChatGPT can do. And people will know that if your product isn't up to par with what they can get elsewhere, which is pretty interesting. You know, as a as an aside, I like to gather use cases of people using ChatGPT for random work reasons. So salespeople, they go to ChatGPT and they prepare questions that they're going to ask their, their prospects. Or, you know, re recruiting people, they will paste in a resume into ChatGPT to do analysis on resumes. Now, these are use cases that companies are going to need to build into their products. And if they don't, then they're going to be at a deficit there. Now, on the flip side of that, there's also the internal process for these B2B companies. Now, there's no doubt that the amount of output per employee is going to go up with these tools. And that's going to translate into increased efficiency. And these companies will be able to do more with less. So if businesses don't adopt this internal multiplier, well, it's going to be really tough to increase with businesses that do. So for the sake of argument, let's say that there are two businesses that don't do anything with their external product. They don't make a single change. But one of them adopts a really strong generative AI internal policy for them. Well, that company is going to be able to market more. They're going to be able to sell more per headcount. And they're going to be able to manage just more in general with the same amount of human input that they have. So I think that the, the, the risks are real and your customers are going to know about it. And it's going to be really important to have a strategy. Yeah, I do agree. If you're, I think every business owner or founder has something in mind today on how to do something. But yeah, you can stay behind a lot if you don't start thinking about it. And just opening up for the audience here real quick, if you're in the audience and you want to ask questions for the speakers, feel free to request to speak and we're going to just let you answer it on the stage. 
If not, you can just write it on the comments and I'll read it for them and ask for you. So the last question that I have for you guys here is, how do you actually see LLMs changing the business landscape over the next five to 10 years? And how, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs or business owners looking to launch AI or a perhaps product that's data-based <clears throat> right now? So I'll, I'll, uh, first thing I want to say is I really like Greg's distinction between external products versus kind of internal efficiency. I think that's, that's spot on. You know, I, in terms of the, the LLMs changing the, the, the business landscape, whew, that's, a, that's a big one. So I, I can say a few things with not much confidence and a few things with, with a lot of confidence. Like, first off, anyone who, who tells you that, like, this is how it's going to change things or, 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 or with, with confidence, like the full extent of, of how large language models are, are going to impact the, the, the business landscape like we, we just don't know like it's 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 really we're currently in, in the middle of this exponential ai progress and and yeah there's there's some degree of hype around it but but it's it's not it's very unlike many hype cycles it's, it's actually seeing very very tangible real business effects and, and, and adoption today and you know it's really to some degree a question of to what extent does does that exponential AI progress at the foundational level, at the research level, continue on this exponential trend, or does it does it level off and find a local optima somewhere? I don't know. Nobody really knows. You know that that really comes down to how far the the transformers architecture will will take us. Either way, even if it even if we were to level off and 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 not have any more based AI progress, which to be clear, I, I really don't believe that. Like it's just not that's not what we're seeing. Even if that were the case, like the actual business proliferation and the implications of, of the current level of AI progress, you know, over the next couple of years, over the next five years, it is just astronomical in terms of the, you know, the, the, the efficiency gains on the internal side of the sides of things in terms of the, 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 the way that, that, that it will, it will impact the, the products, products themselves, the, the, the ease of use, the, the, the flexibility of, of products and, and just that, that, raising the bar of, of consumer expectations. I think one, one, of, one of my guiding uh, North Stars for, for the company that I'm working on or building, building agents is, is, you know, imagine a world in the not too distant future where you have a, a single person with a thousand agents working on their behalf can realistically challenge the resources of a corporation. Which, which is just insane, right? Like, like you, you go back 30, 40 years to the, the kind of the start of computers. And, and this is really very similar to the, the, the promise of, you know, imagine one person with, with a computer could challenge, you know, teams of, of, of dozens or hundreds without, without using computers. And it's really that, that level of a step change of, of efficiency. And, and, you know, to, to what extent the, the autonomous, the, the kind of agent side of things is, is able to come to fruition I, I it, that's that's very unclear, but that's that's something I'm very very excited about because it just is is a, enable is such an enabler for individual productivity and and you know what that would mean for for industry for the economy for the world I have no idea, but I am very very excited to be building in this space and to to be you know riding along on on that wave. Yeah, absolutely. We all see the potential, right? But right now we can only speculate, but. I, I can only imagine, I mean, what, what it'll look like five, 10 years from now. 
Greg, what's your take on this? Yeah, just super briefly, I agree with Travis earlier where you don't need to hire an ML team to participate in this wave. There's a lot of ways to do it. And so you can partner with early adopters, much like Travis is starting a business right now. He's going to be an expert on how to deploy these agents in a production grade environment. A lot of businesses can gain a lot of value from partnering with groups like that, as well as you know, the the status of third-party tools right now, there's a lot of AI infrastructure tools that are starting to settle. But in terms of verticalized tools, I think we still need another, uh, this is a hypothesis, but maybe 12 to 18 months before we see some really solid verticalized tools that are going to come out here that business owners can take advantage of. But my, when I think about this question, I think about the SMBs in America here who aren't necessarily tech forward, like the bubble that we may be in. And I try to visualize what is the AI going to, how is it going to impact them? And I think it's really going to be around adopting new tools and having your current tools like the Bill.coms and the QuickBooks and the Intuits being able to properly leverage this technology and provide more value to the, the folks out there. Travis, Greg, thank you so much for this conversation. It was a pleasure to have your expertise here on Big Data Small Talk. We're finishing this one off because we hit the one hour mark. But just I appreciate a lot of you guys here. And I learned a lot of stuff too. I hope everyone in the audience appreciated it as well. Thank you so much for participating here with us. And I see you guys on the next Big Data Small Talk. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sabrina. Greg, it's, it's always a pleasure, my man. Thank you, guys.